0: All right. Thanks for coming back to another week of Backlash Podcast. This week, we're going to talk to Taylor Flannery with Muskie Guarantee Guide Service. And he's fishing out of northern Wisconsin. Been a little heavy, I think, maybe on northern Wisconsin guides. But a lot of what they talk about, you know, pertains to pretty much everywhere muskies are, are swimming. Once again, I have my co-host, Brad Hoppy with Muskie Mayhem Tackle. Brad, it's honestly really hard to believe that this weekend is going to be Labor Day weekend. It's like, I mean, this muskie season is probably flying by faster than anyone that I can remember.
1: Uh, absolutely. I would agree with that 100%. I I don't know what happened, Jeff. Uh, I guess when you're busy and you're running around doing what you do, it just flies by. I know I learned that uh, from my parents when I was a young kid and I'm like, yeah, right. Well, man, were they right? <laughs> it's crazy.
0: It is honestly, it's just nuts how fast that everything goes, but you know, if you're, uh, if you're still out musky fishing, we hope you are. I mean, September and October are probably, if, if you're a musky angler, those are the ones that you that keep you w- you know awake at night thinking about, you know, getting on the water and, and wishing they lasted, you know, even longer than they do. I mean, whatever, 60 days or 61 days or whatever the heck they are, it's not enough. So, anyways, if you're out on the water and you're looking for uh, some gear, check out teamrhinooutdoors.com. you are your source for everything musky angling, you know, whether it be... I mean, this, this month is going to start out very blade heavy and we've gotten a lot of blades in. So if you're looking for blades, whether it be, you know, musky mayhem tackle, or you're looking for spanky baits or musky frenzy, we have you covered. And, you know, Brad, that trigger has still been dynamite. I mean, it's been selling really well this year and and I'm sure it's been catching fish too.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Both the detonator and the trigger. Um, It's amazingly enough. I mean, we still are hearing a ton of fish being caught on the cowgirls, the juniors, Supermodels, but, uh, for whatever reason there for probably two, three weeks, man, I was seeing tons of posts with the detonator, especially after dark. So pretty wild. Yep.
0: So if you're looking for gear, whether, you know, like I said, it doesn't need to just be blades. We have lots of rubber from, you know, musky innovations, chaos tackle, even toads from Lake X. I mean, we have you covered Suic lures. I mean, I'm, I can go on and on and on. So if you're looking for gear, check out teamrinooutdoors.com. And if you're looking for some gear, you can also hit up (laughs) muskymayhemtackle.com. That's it. Short and sweet. I know that, uh, you know, Brad, unless you got much to add to this one, I think we just dive into this conversation.
1: Absolutely. I think uh, that's a good plan. Looking forward to this.
0: All right. Our guest this week is Taylor Flannery, Muskie Guarantee Guide Service. It's the first time we've had Taylor on the podcast. So Taylor, first, I want to thank you for taking time out of your schedule for, you know, putting up with us and, and talking muskie fishing with us. And second of all, let's go a little bit over your background and then we'll talk a little bit about your guide service because, I mean, we got to ask a question, right? It's Muskie Guarantee Guide Service. So we'll, we'll get around to that. But first, let's go through the background. What, what got you deciding to want to chase muskies, first off?
2: Well, first, I appreciate you having me on. It means a lot. You know, I, I, I got into muskies uh, when I was a young age. I was, you know, 14, 15, going out with my brother all the time. And if we're being completely honest, I hated muskies. We we never caught anything. We never seen anything. It was It was a pretty rough go, but, you know, we didn't have nothing better to do. We lived out in the country and fishing was about all we had. And Finally, finally, I got my first my first muskie intentionally cast for form on a Suic, and uh, it hit boatside and scared the crap out of me. And uh, ever since then, I've been I've been completely hooked on muskies and everything about them, and uh, wanting to learn more, wanting to get better at it, wanting to wanting to get out there after them as much as I possibly could. Got into the guiding thing just this year. I had always done it just you know as a hobby for fun, and accumulated way too much stuff from Team Rhino Outdoors. I had a couple of friends that, you know, they asked me all the time, well, hey, why why do you chase these muskies all the time? You know, you go out there and you cast your butt off for four or five hours and, you know, to to catch one, two, three fish. And I said, well, why don't you come with me and see what it's like? You know, you can't knock it till you try it. And you get them out in the boat with you and they end up getting into a fish on their on their first trip out. And they're excited. They got a smile on their face and their their legs are shaking. Their hands are shaking. You can just see the fire in their eyes. and and then they realize exactly exactly why we're out there and why we're chasing these toothy critters. And it's a good feeling to, to be a part of that with them. And it's something that I enjoy, and I enjoy taking kids out and getting new kids into the outdoors and something that I wanted to do and I wanted to succeed at. So I just took the plunge and got into it.
0: Well, let me ask you then, do you still offer up the uh, musky guarantee? Because I'm assuming at one point it must have been like guaranteed musky or you don't pay or, or some sort of guarantee. Let's talk a little bit about that.
2: Uh, So with the guarantee, I just, I mean, up in Northern Wisconsin, there's, there's a guide around every corner. And, uh, I mean, it doesn't take much to be a guide. You put in a $40 application and you're a guide. You don't really have to know what you're doing or show that you can, that you can consistently put people on fish. And, uh, with that guarantee, I wanted to stick out from the crowd and I wanted to be, you know, the guy that everybody's seen that and they said, hey, this guy knows what he's doing. He's going to put us on fish or he's not going to get paid for the day. So that's kind of just what I did to stick out. And I've had people, you know, say, well, hey, you know, you can't guarantee a fish and you can't do this. It's muskies and sometimes they win. And I mean, that's, that's the fact of it, you know, uh, sometimes the fish do win and we can't do nothing about it. But you know that I'm going to bust my butt and I'm going to work as hard as I can to give you a good experience and put fish in the net for you. We've had three trips this entire season that that we haven't put a fish in the net. So we're blessed here in northern Wisconsin to have multiple lakes where we can can jump bodies of water, we can try different things, we can fish different structure, uh, clear water, stained water, whatever it may be. And, you know, if you work hard enough and you put in the time, you're going to get on some fish. So um, that's something that I wasn't really worried about doing. And I have had people say, well, you know, it's, it's about the experience and your knowledge and don't give it away for free, which I understand that completely. But on the flip side of things, you know, people want to get out, they want to have a good time, they, they want to enjoy themselves. And I try to try to get clients, you know, to kind of specialize their trip to what they want. If they want bigger fish or, you know, numbers of fish or whatnot, I, I try to do that too. But In the end, you know, you got, you got people on the water with you and they're enjoying themselves and they're having a good time. And a lot of times, even if you don't put a fish in the net, they're still happy and they're still more than willing to, you know, give you what they think, you know, you're worth kind of thing. So that's been
1: nice too. I think people hire guides for so many different reasons, right? And I think uh, a lot of times guides will end up making wrong decisions based upon what they think that that client wants. So one of the first things I would always do when I'm guiding is, is, I ask them why they hired me. And I think you, you it's interesting. You'll find a lot of different reasons, right? Some guys just want to learn spots. Some guys want to catch a giant fish. Some guys want to catch a bunch of fish. Some guys want to learn new, new techniques. Some guys might be interested in buying a boat similar to mine, whatever it might be. But, you know, if you can meet their expectations and you know what their expectations are before you go into that trip, you definitely are advanced in trying to make that trip, their dream trip, come true, really.
2: Yeah, and I agree with that 110%. I do try to ask everybody that's been in the boat with me, you know, um, what, what do you want out of your trip? I mean, this isn't my trip. This is for them. They're out enjoying the Northwoods, the beauty of it. And I mean, this is, this is a destination place here. You know, I mean, everybody wants to come to the Northwoods and relive the history of muskie fishing really. And, you know, you ask them, you know, what do you want out of this? And they say, I just want to learn. I want to be able to go out, you know, by myself and do this, or I want to learn this specific lake, or I want to, I want to learn how to use a bulldog correctly, or, you know, without killing myself or, you know, certain baits. I, I don't really have any success with them, but I see, you know, other people are catching fish on them all the time. Can you just teach me these things? And I mean, a lot of people, they're they are happy. If, if you put in the effort, they're more than happy with, with what you're doing for them. And, and it's, a, it's a really good feeling when you do put one in the net for them and you get that big smile and you can tell that, that they're 110% invested in
1: muskies from that point on. I would agree 100%. There's something very special about seeing a first fish get caught or a biggest personal best fish caught. I mean, that's what keeps you in the guide game for sure. I mean, it's just, there's nothing better than that feeling.
0: So, Taylor, let's talk a little bit about your guide service. If somebody wants to learn a little bit more about it, what's the best way they go about doing that?
2: You can get a hold of me on Facebook as Taylor Flannery. Otherwise, I have a separate uh, page on the Facebook account that is the Muskie Guarantee Guide Service page. Um, and then I also have a website as well, which I don't get on that as much as I should, but that is www.muskieguaranteeguideservice.com. And you can check that out. And then, uh, you can shoot me a text message, give me a call. Uh, my cell phone is 715-490-5088. And, uh, I'll answer any questions you have, or we'll see if we can work something out.
0: So Taylor, let's talk about one thing. So, you you know, you were talking about the beauty of the Northwoods and quite honestly, that's why I like Northern Wisconsin so much, you know, it kind of still gets that bad rap about not having big fish, but I seriously think that's coming back. What are you seeing on the water this year?
2: So actually this year on the water, I've seen more big fish this year than I have in years past. And I don't know if it's because of the cooler water temps that we've had for most of the year. I mean, we had one week where it, you know, hit like 78, 79 degrees where it was kind of pushing it. But for the most part, it's been that low 70s to 76. And that might have kept those fish, you know, those bigger fish on the weed lines and on the structure longer where they were easier to access. Um, but also, I mean, you got, you got a lot of guys out there. There's more education, you know, on handling fish and how to keep them alive and keeping them out of the water and, you know, not putting them on bump boards if they're a 30 incher because, you know, you don't want them flopping all over the deck of the boat. I mean, you can kind of get a rough estimate of what your fish is, but people are taking care of the fish. And I mean, obviously those fish are are coming up through the system and you're starting to see, see the results of that. So that's, that's really good to see.
0: All right, so Taylor, you know, you're talking about catching, you're seeing some big fish. Let's talk a little bit about how your season started, how, maybe how the summer went. I mean, it sounds like you've been putting fish in the boat almost every trip. You want you want to kind of just give a recap of like what's been going on in the water? What's been catching fish maybe in the last month or so? Maybe we don't have to go back to the beginning, but uh, you know, what, what's what been putting fish in the boat?
2: For the last month, I mean, it's it's been a rubber grind, to be honest. It's bulldogs and it's medusas and they've been just absolutely on fire on that. Um, the Suicks are, are really a big one in my boat. I use a lot of jerk baits. I do use bucktails, you know, in certain situations you got the low light conditions or you know, uh, if you have an overclass, overcast day um, they can be they can be great, but I mean, if you go out on any of our Northwoods waters and you see three other boats out there, odds are both them guys are out there in that boat and they're throwing bucktails. You know, I mean, it's a popular bait, but I tell you, you, you start throwing a bulldog around or, you know, jerk baits, tuics, gliders, that kind of thing, you seem to get a lot more bites versus, you know, just follows and, you know, sightings of fish. But earlier in like July in that, we were really seeing a lot of fish um, off the deep break. They were still up on the structure, but they, you know, they were a cast length off, which a lot of guys are, are scared to, to go that cast length off the structure. It's comfortable to fish right around you know, a rock bar or weed edges or whatnot, but sometimes, you know, you go that extra cast length out and it can be, it can be deadly for you. With the rubber baits. I mean, a lot of guys, you see them, they're, they're just kind of slow pulling them and, you know, dragging them and keeping up their slack. But I like to really snap them things. You know, you get them going fast and it's almost, I mean, you really get that reaction strike out of these fish. I think that's been a, been a big key to what we've been doing in our boat. So.
1: I would agree with that, Taylor. You know, we, meaning Chase and I, and then as well as a few guide trips in in between, have definitely been hopping a bunch of rubber around. One of the things that we've actually done, and this is because of Chase, um, the Dying Dog, which is not a bait that I was never, I, I just, it wasn't my deal, right? I didn't really care for it, but he's really changed my attitude on the Dying Dog. It's an incredible, incredible bait. So. We've done well on that as well. We've caught some fish on blades, obviously, but uh, man, I'll tell you, we're just coming off like one of the toughest months I've had in fishing in a long time. I don't know what it was, but this month of August, it was a sunny and bright. The only time we got rain was after dark or early in the morning and uh, basically no weather for the last 30 days. And I definitely think it just kind of put these fish in a funk. So things have changed a little bit now here in my neck of the woods. We're starting to see a little bit of a push to the shallow, typical fall transition. And um, I don't know, I think uh, the blade bite has really turned back on for me. So that's a good thing. Top water starting to come on and uh, I'm looking forward to the rest of the season. But I, I have to admit, August was one of the toughest months I've seen in a long, long time.
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, we had we had a lot of times. I mean, you get bright, sunny bluebird skies, which, I mean, it makes you really happy when you wake up and you see that's the weather for the day, but a lot of the fish that we've been encountering, you know, they're, they're off that structure and that the bulldogs and medusas, you know, that kind of thing that allows you to get down just that little extra bit, um, and, you know, get right in their faces and ripping that stuff across them. And then another thing that, I mean, I tinker with baits all the time, but you know, you're putting extra weights on bucktails and getting them down, you know, an extra two feet or extra three feet in the water column. And a lot of times that can, that can really get you bit a lot more often than, you know, you're running one to two feet underneath the surface with a blade. You're just not seeing the fish, but you get it down there a little bit. And sometimes that seems to, seems to really be the ticket form as well.
1: Yeah. Hands down. That, that can be a really good way. Another way that I do it a lot is just slow rolling so that that bait actually falls down off the brake line, just Really, really slow creeping it. It's going to make its way down, and then it's almost coming vertical back up to the boat. So definitely uh, throwing some weights, and a lot of times putting a weight like up towards the front where it's uh, closer to the blades can really make a big difference too. And it'll make more noise in that bait a lot of times. It's kind of strange, but you add weight forward on, on a blade bait, and a lot of times you'll get a lot more thump.
0: So Taylor, let's talk, you're, you know, you're talking rubber and I think you mentioned bulldogs is like bulldog, your rubber of choice. Cause it seems like everybody's got a rubber bait that they like and they stick to and the, and you know, some guys flip back and forth, but it's, you know, is, is a bulldog your, your rubber of choice?
2: I would say, honestly, I, I go about half and half between uh, the Medusa and the bulldog. And a lot of times it's just whatever I grab. I don't have any rhyme or reason to why I'm doing it. I know the bulldog, you can get down in deeper water a little bit quicker. The Medusa kind of has a little drag to stay up a little bit. I mean, really, it just depends on, on what I grab at that time and, you know, what's been working. I got, I got 80 Bulldogs and, you know, another 20, 40, whatever Medusas, and I only throw three of them. So it's whatever's on the deck of the boat and I grab a hold of at the time, really. But I have noticed that early in the year, I do a lot better on the mini and mid Medusas. And then, as the summer kicks in, I am catching a lot more fish on bulldogs. I'm not sure if that's just a coincidence in my boat, but that seems to be the the ticket for me. So normally, earlier in the year, I'm ripping a chaos. Towards this time of year, you transition into fall. I'm um, I'm really snapping that snapping them bulldogs and whatnot over the over the rocks and weed you know weed edges and whatever. So I am about fifty fifty with with what I with what I like to throw, and really is just whatever's producing at the boat at that time, and Sometimes it, it really doesn't matter. I mean, you got a couple guys with you. One guy throws a bulldog, one guy throws a Medusa. And some. I mean, sometimes both of them are getting bit and it is like, you know, they prefer a certain style of bait one day to the next, which is kind of funky. You'd think that, you know, it wouldn't really matter that much, but sometimes they, they do want that, you know, more vibration or a faster snap with a bulldog or whatnot. And it seems to be that you got to figure them out every day. They're a different monster. So.
1: Taylor, what's your typical cadence for working them, rubber baits? I mean, are you, are you a speed freak, or do you let them hang? Or talk to me a little bit about that.
2: I mean, on your typical say say you're fishing your typical weed line. If you have uh, around here a lot of our stained water, you know your weed lines are you know seven to whatever, twelve feet. So what I'm doing, I'm casting up on top of the weeds and ripping it. I mean, as fast and as hard as you can, to get it over top of them weeds and then once you think you're right at the edge you kind of give her a little pause and a lot of times you get smack right on that edge you know but then as you get back to the boat you kind of slow it down a bit and you get that bait down a little deeper you're still ripping that aggressive snap of the rod to get that bait to hop really quick but you give it a little extra pause and it'll still get down a little deeper and then as you get back towards the boat I like to snap it a couple like two or three times really quick to get it you know, coming up to the boat to go into your figure eight. And a lot of times that'll trigger the fish in itself before you actually get into the eight with the bait.
1: Is it on a slack line or are you trying to keep that tight the whole time? I'm just curious, you know, so the listeners can kind of understand. If you're giving it that slack line, you're going to have that forward drop. And I'm just curious if that's what you're doing.
2: Yeah, as you're, as you're snapping quick, you want to keep that tension on your line and then i mean it really helps with feeling the hit to begin with but um yeah you want to keep that bait really rocking over top the weeds and then as you get down yeah you kind of slack line it and you got to be really careful about that it's hard for newcomers you know fishing that style to actually feel a hit because a lot of times it's just it's just the slightest little tick when you got slack line and that fish comes up and you know overtakes the bait but i mean every little difference you know in that line that you feel you gotta you gotta set the hook and if you know, hook sets are free if you waste one, it's not a big deal. But yeah, you kinda as, it, as it's as dropping down that edge, you know, you're slacklining a little bit and then coming back to the bolt, then you wanna you wanna keep that the line tight coming up to the boat. And then uh, the the high speed reels you got nowadays really really help with that.
1: Better than a slack line when you when you give it a little slack like that and you go to rip it again and there's just that weight behind it. I love that feeling, that's for sure. But And you're right. I mean, a lot of times it's like a tick. I mean, I, I tell different people, it's almost like uh, walleye fishing. If you've been walleye fishing, you feel that little tunk. And guess what? That's how they eat it a lot of times. They're pushing that bait forward. And uh, it takes a minute for you to register.
2: Yeah, definitely. And it is really funny. Um, you know, and even, even throwing bucktails or, you know, something like that you know, everybody, especially starting out in the sport, they, they see this big fish and they're like, wow, this thing's just going to rip the rod out of my hand, which I sometimes, you know, sometimes they really, they really wallop it, but you tell them, you know, Hey, this can be its slightest little, you know, weight change or, you know, the blade stop or something different, you know, with how it feels as you're reeling on a normal or whatnot. And they don't really register that until they actually feel it and they're like oh man and they, they set the hook and then it comes shaking out of the water you know so it's uh and everybody's always surprised by how light the fish is actually hitting versus just ripping the rod out of their hands so that's, that's kind of interesting
0: what are you using for a rod for rubber
2: um i have a chaos 2020 with the, the revo grip on it it's a nine foot the moab I really like that one for, you know, bigger rubber or whatnot. Um, seems to, seems to really do the trick and I don't feel like it's too much stress on the rod. And then for like the smaller rubber, which I rip most of the time, I got a nine, six shock and awe telescoping. That's the uh, 2020 chaos as well. That's got the Revo C too. I really like that extra something to hang on to.
0: Sure. Yeah. I'm interested to play around with that Moab. I actually just got one. I don't know, probably three weeks ago. Time flies when you're having fun. Of course, I haven't even taken the packaging <laughs> off of it yet, but uh, I hope that changes this weekend. We'll see what happens. I mean, I'm, I feel good about the chances of it changing, whether or not the kids have other ideas on when I go up north. That's that's the other question.
2: Just going to say, that's always uh, the tough thing is dealing with a family and being out on the water and spending time on the water at the same time as, you know, being a good dad and being there for your kids and making a, making a balance between the two and still being able to stay on the muskies, you know, on a given day. It's always the challenge of it.
0: I know I was talking to a buddy of mine about that earlier this year. I'm like, you know, usually I have a few, a few more trips where I have a better idea what I'm, you know, what I should be looking at. I got something to go off of all my memories or all my, you know, Intel I have this year is always, you know, I I go out fishing for a day and then I don't go, you know, fishing for another two weeks or three weeks. Well, the pattern, I mean, you you guys see it, you see it on a daily basis. You know, pattern can be drastically different by then. So it's really hard when you're not consistently on the water to try to stay
2: on them. That's a definite thing. I mean, I've had days you go from, you know, a 85 degree day and the fish are, you know, pushed off the structure and you know, you got everything is cast length out and you're really working for them. And then the very next day is 65 degree cold front and everything changes. You know, the, the fish mood, the fish where they're at. And, uh, it's just an ever changing thing. And if you're not on the water every single day to, to track them down and kind of have a few fish located, it, it can be tough. So that's, if you're going to a new area or whatnot, that is a, a nice thing to, you know, uh, either hire a guide or do some research online. There's, there's a ridiculous amount of knowledge online, you know, people giving tips and pointers and all that things, but, yeah, they, they definitely change what they got going on from day to day.
1: Jeff, you might want to hire Taylor when you go up that that direction again.
0: I was thinking that, especially if we got <laughs> the guarantee there's at least a chance I'm going to either catch one or I won't be paying him, right? <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I would think that he'll get the job done for you, Jeff.
0: Well, I mean, I am in that area, you know, typically, frequently enough. It hasn't been the case lately, but... Typically, I would be up there, you know, for sure every other weekend, I would imagine. And now, I mean, who knows what this fall will bring with two kids that play football and two daughters that play volleyball. it It's uh, time gets crunched, which really stinks because September is the best month to be on the water.
1: Yeah, I love September. And uh, you're right. I mean, it's amazing how much busier I've gotten over the past couple of years. Luckily, my daughter only plays basketball. So in that fashion and form, it. it allows me still to get out on the water but um, it gets more challenging every year that's for sure
0: yeah well usually by basketball season at least things are mostly frozen so that's a plus exactly it's not at all frozen during <laughs> during volleyball and football season
1: do you have kids taylor
2: yeah i got three of them so they, so they got- keep me plenty oh. busy. i got a 10 year old and a six year old and a three year old so they're they're always on the run
0: yeah, he knows what we're talking about then, Brad.
1: Yeah, exactly. I, I can't compete with you guys. I only got one, so.
0: <laughs> Smarter man than me. Wait, no, I didn't say that. On, I didn't say that on here, did I? Uh, actually, no. my kids went back to school today, which is, it, it kind of stinks because of the fact that, like, for me, when you know, back to school, I need to be a responsible parent. I need to make sure that they go to bed at certain times. I need to make sure they get up at certain times. You know during the summertime i just it's it's like you know i don't want to say it's all rules are off but if they want to stay up until you know midnight i don't care i mean they're then they can sleep till whenever they get up it doesn't it doesn't bother me so it, it adds a different degree of um uh, of busyness too once they start going back to school and i got to play the role of responsible dad again
1: well i thought that was mel's job
0: well i mean typically it is but it usually takes
1: both of us <laughs> to get him to bed i hear you man Plus, they're your little helpers in there, the sweatshop you're running over there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> wow, <laughs> you're, you're not wrong though. You aren't. You aren't wrong,
1: Taylor. Um, how are your kids with fishing? Do they like to fish, or is it something that they look at as as that's dad's deal? Or how's that work?
2: I actually, I've had the the oldest boy. I've had him out with me in the in the boat chasing fish. You know, since he was itty bitty, but um, probably two years ago I brought him out and he was musky fishing and uh to be honest with you he spent most of the time you know dragging a top water out of the back of the boat you know and um it just just out there with dad so I mean that's always good but I've handed him off the rod a bunch of times you know where he's you know caught northerns and you know whatever but and he gets a kick out of it but uh this year he actually finally got his first one it was a 37 incher and he was he was just hooting and hollering and you know he was shaking like a leaf and it was a great time it was really good experience for the both of us so there's one thing i could tell anybody it's get your kids out on the water and get them fishing and you know you'll never see a bigger smile on their face so
1: yeah absolutely and i think it's important to to build that foundation at an early age and what i mean by that is is if you get them out in the boat and get them at least involved maybe they're not fishing the whole time but you build that foundation and i'm seeing it with my daughter she's going to be 12 here in a couple months and i This year, she did not put as much time in the boat with me as she normally would. I know that foundation's there. She has the interest. She likes it. But uh, things in in the rest of your life kind of get in the way at that typical age of 12, 13 years old. It seems like they kind of walk away. But I know she'll be back, that's for sure. And she still begs to go at different times. So the foundation has been created
2: yep definitely and it, i mean it doesn't have to be getting them out on the boat either i mean it, it can be a matter of going down to the local beach and catching three inch bluegills and you know the kids are happy and they they don't care what it is as long as they're out with their with their parents and they're having a good time and they're spending some time outdoors that's that's what matters so
1: absolutely i would agree 100 percent. there's a couple of fishing piers on a few bodies of water locally here by me and uh, we find ourselves on those docks quite often um it's, it's kind of nice and relaxing, even for me. Instead of dealing with the boat and everything else, we'll go down there. We've got some neat spots for walleyes, uh, crappies, bluegills, the whole work. So it, it's a fun way to fish, and it kind of takes you back to your own youth. I, I know I spent a lot of time on a shoreline fishing as a kid, and so it's kind of strange. A couple years ago, it was muskie opener weekend, and Matt Seifer came up and was here for an opener. And that Friday night, I said, come on, we're going to a fishing pier. And he said, well, let's just take the boat. And I'm like, no, we're going down there on a pier. Well, we get there, and he goes, we could have put the boat in. We'd have our electronics. We would have did this. We would have did that. And I said, yeah, but we're fishing on a pier. The following year, he's like, are we going down to that pier tonight? And I go, well, don't you want to take your boat? No, fishing on the pier was fun. So it's funny, you know. We get hung up and set in our own ways, and and boats are really cool. Don't get me wrong. I, I have a bunch of them, and I love them. But... I will say that there's something special about fishing from a shoreline too.
2: Yeah, that's definitely, I mean, growing up, I mean, that's, that's what I did. We'd ride our, ride our bikes a mile and a half down the road with a tackle box and a fishing pole and you go and we'd wade the Wolf River and uh, catch some smallmouth bass and rock bass and I mean, whatever would bite. But yeah, there's, there's something different about, about being able just to go and enjoy the outside and not, not have to deal with the boat and worry about, you know, if your graph's going to power up or if the next guy is going to be on your spot before you get there or whatnot, it's, it's fun to just kick back, relax and enjoy what you're doing, you know?
0: Well, you know, Taylor, we're talking about kids and, and and relaxing a little bit. Do you ever get out and do any trolling up there in the North woods? It seems like everybody I've talked to so far this year, either hasn't done it or hasn't had success. Where are you on this spectrum?
2: (laughs) I got to tell you, I'm not a troller. I get that it is, a very very successful tactic for a lot of people but it is just not for me um i i got into muskies off of a figure eight fish and that is what i absolutely love and i until i have a serious problem catching fish casting i probably won't spend any time trolling it's just uh just the thing that i prefer to cast and i prefer being up close and personal with the fish and that's, that's just what I've always done. And that's, that's kind of the thing that I enjoy. And I, I mean, it is what it is, but no, I, I really don't, don't do much for trolling up here.
1: Oh, you will eventually when you get a little older.
2: <laughs> yeah. I, I <laughs> Chuck and <laughs> rubber around all the time. Isn't the best for your back and shoulders. So
1: uh-huh. I'm just joking, but it, it is funny. I, I remember feeling that same way 20 years ago and looking at these guys and going, man, why are they trolling? The casting bites so good. But over a period of years, I'm starting to understand that more now.
0: (laughs) I've been telling Jensen that for years. He needs to start doing a little bit more trolling. He's been throwing rubber for, you know, 30 years or whatever he's been doing. He's going to burn himself out.
1: Well, and he works it like, like a madman. I've always teased him that he, he's having an epileptic fit in the front of the boat when he was working rubber. So yeah, I mean, it takes its toll on you. There's no question, but man, is it effective?
0: All right. So Taylor, one thing about the Northwoods and we've talked about this with many guides is just the uh, sheer amount of lakes that are available that have muskies in them. You know, when you go to certain areas, they may not have that many lakes, but when you go to Northern Wisconsin, I mean, heck right around where you and I are, there's gotta be 15. There's even more if you, you know, if you extend out your range a little bit farther, you know, how do you go about selecting a lake? Do you find from season to season that some lakes are hot some lakes are cold?
2: Yeah, definitely, it, it can be a, a big decision every day on on what water you want to pick. But I mean, a lot of it, you know, you're you're dependent on what the weather's doing. If I mean, if it's a bluebird sunny day with flat calm, I'm I'm not going to hit you know the the clear water or whatnot. I'm going to go to a little bit stained water. Or if it's you know if it's overcast and if there's a storm coming in, I'm going to go and hit a big fish water where I feel like I can I can get on a good one. And really, I mean, it's it's a lot. You know, you check out. The Wisconsin DNR has, you know, their stocking sites. If you say, if you're a brand new angler wanting to get into muskie fishing, wanting to find new lakes to go out and explore on, you get into the stocking database and you check out, you know, anything from what, 2010 all the way up, you know, those stocking records kind of tell you, you know, what size fish should be in that system. The numbers that are in there could potentially be in there and you kind of pick those waters. But one of the main things is, people always try new water when they're struggling. Well, that to me is a mistake because if you're going to try a new body of water, you want to get out there on a full moon or a new moon phase or something like that where you know those fish are going to be active and you get out there, you fish your best spots. you can actually see fish during those days. Otherwise, if you go out there on a bright, calm, sunny day and you try a new body of water, you don't see nothing. Well, you're never going to go back to that water again. And it could be the best lake in the, in the whole area. But because you went out there on the worst day possible, the fish were moving and sometimes they don't always cooperate, but it's hard for a lot of people to kind of get out of their comfort zone and get off their, you know, local body that's 10 minutes away from their house and go and explore on these waters when, you know, Hey, it's a new moon and I'm definitely going to catch a fish tonight on this body of water that I know really well, but that's actually the day that you should be going out and exploring, you know, one of these hundreds of lakes that are in our area. A lot of my decision is based on for one, what the client wants out of their trip, whether they want numbers or they want to go after a big fish or a chance at a big fish or what the weather's doing for that day, or if we have a front moving in or what kind, even what time of year or what the water temps are and what kind of structures in that lake. I mean, if you have a, shallow body of water and there's only weeds in there you're looking at the weed edges and this and that where if you get warm water temps you don't want to play around on that shallow water and you don't want to be you know messing around that those fish aren't really as active so then you're going to your deeper clear lakes you know and you get that you know 71 73 degree water temp then in those bigger you know deeper clear waters they really seem to turn on them
1: You hit it right on the head, Taylor, and that's the fact that uh, if you're going to go try a new spot on a particular body of water, if you're catching fish and seeing fish, they're active, go check those new spots or even a new body of water. You need to be out there working it when things are really happening or you're not going to learn anything, you know, And, and that's a tough decision. You know, a lot of times you're taking a risk there, but there's a lot of reward when it comes to risk at different points in time, so definitely something to think about. I think that was a good point.
2: Yeah. And then, I mean, so I run like hummingbird units and they got the auto chart live. I use that a lot. I'll go out to a new body of water and you get a base map, you know, from a lake master chip and there's nothing there. Well, you go out there and you start making your own map. Well, by the time you're done, I mean, you might spend six hours on a 400 acre lake, but you got that thing mapped out where you can follow the ins and outs and the turns and the rocks and weeds and I mean, you can pretty much pick out a spot and say, this is where that fish is going to be sitting based off of this wind direction or whatever. And you just go and pound on that. Well, eventually you'll get the success in doing that. And I mean, just basically use everything that you have available to you and you're going to have success out there. So that's, that's something to keep in mind too. I mean, when you do hit new water, don't be afraid to, to take one day, don't even take fishing rods, just take one day, go out there and map out that lake and, you really get a good handle for for what's on that water and what you can can do when you actually do get out there fishing.
1: It's so amazing what you can do with mapping now. (laughs) Honestly, it changes the game even more. I mean, the map card is really definitely a, a great tool. But now when you find all the little idiosyncrasies that you're talking about, once you start mapping a body of water, it improves your boat control twofold. I mean, it's so amazing. It really, truly is.
2: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Instead of going in and out of the weed bed or in and off the rock bar, you know, and kind of fighting with it. Now you can just stay right on the outside and you can parallel that thing the entire way. And I mean, it it really, it it changed the game. It's crazy what you can do nowadays.
0: All right. So Taylor, the other part of that question was hot lakes, cold lakes. I'm, I'm assuming you see it, you know, from season to season, you're bouncing around. Do you find that one, you know, one season that lake will be super hot and the next season it's not?
2: You do have that. And a lot of times I've seen where you'll have a two to three year stretch where everybody that fishes a certain body of water is catching fish and they're, that's the only lake they go out on because they're confident. They know they can catch a fish. Well, then that third, fourth year comes around and they're fishing the same spot. Same bait, same everything. Thinking that that's the ticket, and they're just not seeing fish. But you get them, you know, and everybody says that they're, you know, the fish aren't there, or the, you know, they're in a slump or whatnot. But that's the beauty of the Northwoods is there are so many lakes in our area that you just, you know, put the trailer on and go and pick a lake, and you know, you can throw a baseball to another lake that hits a hits the musky water. So that is the good thing about the Northwoods. Yes, there's for sure certain times of the year. That certain bodies of water really seem to fire up every single year. You know, it's basically everything goes off the water temperature, right? If you have like early season, you're always on. You know, your stained water, your smaller lakes. They seem to heat up a little bit faster. Those are good ones to hit early in the year. Which, um, if you're you know big into clear water fishing, you're you're probably not going to have a whole heck of a lot of success early in the year. But then that midsummer when those fish are you know, happy at that 70 to 73 degrees, those smaller lakes are up in that 78 to 80 degrees and they're not really producing anymore. Well, that's your time when those lakes shine. So, I mean, really, we have so many different kinds of water around here with clarity and depth and structure and just what these fish are holding to that um, it is really endless on what the possibilities are for you to be able to hit and you just got to be kind of versatile and be able to, to go about it. If you're not seeing fish on one body of water, don't waste your time. Go, go hop to the next one and see what you find. And eventually you will find one that, that is really picking up and that you're having a lot of success on. And
0: Well, then my other follow-up to that would be how long are you going to go to a lake? Let's say maybe it's just a day trip or whatever. How long are you going to be on a lake if you're not moving, seeing anything with with fish before you're going to jump to a different lake?
2: So a lot of times if we're going out fishing, I would say, I would try to do like say a half day trip would be a four to six hour trip. So if you're, if you're with somebody that only wants, you know, a four hour time span, I mean, you don't really have a whole lot of option as far as hopping lakes. You kind of want to hit what you can hit. You hit your main spots on, there's normally a, you know, a noon to two o'clock peak or whatnot. You want to hit that one if you're not seeing fish, you should probably just get off the water, go try something different. Um, maybe if, if you've been on a hot bite on weeds and it's just not panning out for you, maybe maybe jump to a body of water after, you know, two hours that's got a rock bite, you know, and you, you go out and you hit some, hit some main lake rock points and see what you can find, you know, in that instance. But you don't always want to stay in the same kind of, I'm fishing weeds, this is where they are, this is what I'm going to do, because sometimes the fish just change from, I mean, it can be day to day and got to be able to, to want to move, I guess. And it takes 10 minutes to throw the boat on the trailer and jump to a new lake and see what you can get. So, I mean, if you're, if you're not seeing anything and it's kind of a hard business decision there, you know, I mean, if you, if you've been out and you've been having success on a certain body of water, you always want to hit that last light. And you're thinking that we'll get to the last light and we're going to pound one, right? Well, then what happens when it doesn't work out? you know now now you're disappointed you're upset because you could have moved you could have made a difference sometimes it it just really doesn't matter what you do the fish just aren't going on any body of water kind of shows the client or some you know whatever that you are trying for them that you're trying to get them on a fish that you're not just stuck in your ways and going to do the one thing that you think has been working so it it is nice to to jump lakes and get a different different scenery and you know it kind of kind of keeps you focused too as well if If you fish the same 400 acre lake, you're hitting kind of the same, you know, six spots or 10 spots or whatnot on that water where you kind of get, kind of get relaxed and which is a good thing at some point, but you do want to stay focused and you do want to be on your game. And if you jump water, well, now you're fishing whole new structure, a whole new ball game. So it kind of does revitalize the day. You know, you kind of get your energy back, you kind of get rocking again. So that in itself can help you succeed too.
1: Do you think, Taylor, some of the uh, hot and cold lake type deal that Jeff's asking about is related to bait population as well?
2: Yeah, I mean, it it definitely could be. You You got certain bodies of water where there's just, I mean, you go out there and you'll be on 12 foot of water and there's little perch or crappies on top of the water everywhere. And you find that it's a really tough bite. Well, yeah, because those fish are probably already fed and then you start seeing porpoise and muskies and all that good stuff. And that's never a great sign. So you see that you want to definitely change up what you got going on. But a lot of like the really dark stained water that we have here, you don't find like the big bait balls and whatnot that you do on like your, you know, your deeper clear water lakes and that you got little bait scattered all over the place and When those fish get out in the basins on those lakes, they are very hard to target. You can't fish a bait ball like you would structure, you know. They're scattered all throughout the system, and, I mean, really, that's like, you know, a needle in a haystack kind of thing.
1: Now, you kind of bring up a a cool point there that I guess maybe I haven't thought about, and that's uh, the water clarity side. To the whole bait concept, and the the reason I'm even asking this, and it's been really interesting to me, like Chase is up here for his second summer, he's dealing with tons and tons of shad, right? He's down in, in reservoirs throughout West Virginia and Ohio and such. He's like, well, these fish continue to eat no matter how much bait is out there. And I, I agree with him. But it seems like when some of our bodies of water in my local area where we're dealing with ultra clear water, we have tons and tons of bait. And it's like the fish are full. Every fish we catch, I mean, they're just crapping all over the boat, right? So. I don't know. I mean, it's just something that I was thinking about and I think, uh, you might've brought something up that I would guess I kind of missed. And that is the water clarity side to the bait population.
0: All right, Taylor. Well, before we let you go, let's talk a little bit about weekend outlook. So if people are hitting the water this weekend in the Northwoods, where, why don't you give a couple bait suggestions and maybe a couple, uh, areas to target if you, uh, are so inclined.
2: Yeah. So we just had a cold frontier this last weekend and it really seemed like it moved a lot of fish onto rock structure. The other day we went out, we had what four fish hooked and we had a couple more sightings or whatnot. It was, it was a good day, but every, every single fish was shallow main lake rock structure. The weed lines have been hot all year. It seems like there, there wasn't really a, you know, any time when the fish were not on the weed. So basically the fish right now are right where they should be for the time of year. You're starting to hit, you know, your five to eight foot rock bars are really good. Any, any weed line you can follow parallel that weed edge. You're going to, you're going to run across a fish. I'm a big one on like a nine, 10 inch suik. Um, Either one is, is going to get the job done. Your Medusa's bulldogs. I've been actually throwing a lot of, like the stagger blade bucktails but you really in the north woods you can't go wrong with a showgirl they're always been a big producer for us you don't have to throw a monster you know a mag dog or anything like that if you know you don't want to kill yourself i mean our most of our lakes around here are a small forage lake you know i mean your your crappies and perch and bluegills are all seven to ten inches and that's kind of what the fish are feeding on i mean you don't have to kill yourself throwing big stuff. Certain times they do like the big stuff, but don't be scared to downsize. You know your smaller bucktails, your smaller rubber, the mini medusa, mid medusa, um, regular bulldogs. I I like the pro ones better, but yeah, them them are all all hot baits.
0: That's interesting. You brought up pro dogs because we were talking about rubber before. I was I w- I wanted to ask it. I was curious whether or not you know you're you're into the pro dogs or not. It seems like when they first came out, it was like 25% of the guys wanted the pros. And then as we started to move on, it became closer to 50, 50. And now it's definitely more people are preferring pro dogs, I would say over the other dog, you know, your, we'll call it your original dogs or whatever you want to say, but definitely uh, moving more towards that direction. Not saying that the other ones don't sell well, they still do, but it's, it's definitely pushing more towards pro. It's kind of interesting to see that shift.
2: Yeah, definitely. I, I really am a big believer of the pro dog. I think you do get just that little bit of extra action out of it. And then it does drop a little bit better, you know, where you're ripping a, uh, the normal, the, the original dog, and it kind of comes up a little bit where those pro dogs, when you snap them, they got more of a, more of a hop to them. And uh, I, I really like that action a lot better. Same with the Medusas. I actually bend the nose down on a Medusa or weight the front of it. Just to get that head to drop a little faster, kind of the same action as the the pro dogs. So that is something that's that I'm a big believer in. As I really like those a lot better.
0: All right, Taylor. Hey, I want to thank you for taking time out of your schedule to talk musky fishing with us. As always, it's great to talk to you know a variety of different people. Obviously, we've never had you on, so it's different you know, um, mindset to things. And we like to get different perspectives. So I want to thank you for that. For anybody, again, that's looking to get in touch with you, how do they go about doing that?
2: Uh, You can look me up on Facebook. It's Muskie Guarantee Guide Service. Otherwise, my actual Facebook account, Taylor Flannery, find me on there. I'll have a big muskie in the picture. Otherwise, I have a website. That's www.muskieguaranteeguideservice.com. And you can get a hold of me at seven one five four nine zero five zero eight eight.
0: Perfect. Well, again, Taylor, thank you again for talking musky fishing with us. We hope you have a great fall on the water. I'm sure that we'll, you know, we'd be open to having you on at, at another episode, another time. And we want to thank our listeners again for putting up with us for the episode. And hopefully, everybody's got a great Labor Day weekend on the water. And uh, it's fall—hard to believe it, but it's there. So, good luck fishing.